even if they're not the words said. But Lord, your spirit would teach us and encourage us and convict us and move us into all truth, Father God, that you would work in each one of us as we need to be worked in this morning. Father God, bless every single person here and all those that may listen at some point, I guess, as well. Bless them, Father. We ask for your blessing on them. And we ask that you be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I need some volunteers. Um, but the sort of volunteers that I pick, um, they're my favourite sort of volunteers. You haven't got to do anything except stand here and ask some questions. So if I point at you, if you'd like to come to the front, I'd very much appreciate that. You literally haven't got to do anything. Uh, let me think, let me think, let me think. Michael, do you want to, do you want to come up? Uh, better have a nice balance of people. Um, uh, Hendrick, you're, you're a good chap, aren't you? Georgia, you got your head down, that was a mistake. Um, <laughs> I don't know why people do it. Um, let me see. Anne? Yeah, let's have one more. Gemma, since you're already standing up. Brilliant. <laughs> so I was going to use this as this, right? Okay, so there's only four. I thought there were five. Oh, there's five. I was going to I can't count. So very simply, we're just going to see how much we all have in common with each other. If we can just find one thing um, that we can all agree on and share as a common interest... That's all. So I'm going to ask a question. I just want you to tell me what, what it is, that, how you respond. And if someone says the same thing as you, just stand next to them. Okay, so let's start with uh, let's start age. Uh, <laughs> 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 let's go for the, uh, the decades. I'm in my 20s. Yeah, how, long, how long are you left in your 20s? Three years. <laughs> I'm in my 40s. Okay. 40s. So you can stand next to Hendrik. Uh, I'm in my 40s. 30s. 60s. Okay, so you spread out a bit. Let's go over there. Phew. Anyway, so that's it. So, I, so we're, not, we're not all agreeing on that. Let's try something else. Let's try favourite sport, Anne. Um, I like tennis. Tennis? Football. 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 Swimming. Swimming. <laughs> Volleyball. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, okay, so two of us... <laughs> I have a feeling that, um, that you and Anne may, may probably should stand together because I, I suspect you plucked tennis out of the air maybe. Was that a bit of a last year? Okay, so, so, so you two actually shouldn't really, you're not really, so we're not agreeing on that. Let's try something else. Place of birth. Don't say hospital. Epping. Epping. London. Holland. Berkshire. A Dagenham in East London. Oh, yeah. oh no, Bark Inside. That's rubbish. Let's not do that. Well, almost. Well, bark inside that. They had a lot of punch-ups. They had a lot of punch-ups. I'm not sure they've got a lot in common. Anyway, um, let's try something. Favourite type of music? Christian music. Well, <laughs> always the correct answer. So? Christian music. Oh, just there next to German. Lots of different ones. No, you've got to pick one. Come on, in. I can't. Um, Matt Redman. Hey, Matt Redman. Where did Christian music? Three of them? I think I'll say Christian as well, actually. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay. Oh, Georgia. Come on, you uh, I'm going to say mid-90s Britpop, obviously. Um, Blur and Oasis, and Christian music as well. Anyway, uh, let's do one more. That's not worth it. Favourite film? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'll come back to you. Favourite film? I don't know. Favourite? I'll think about it. Oh. <laughs> James Bond. James Bond. What's it be? Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. Um... The Voyage. What's that? It's a movie you probably, well, some <laughs> B movie somewhere. <laughs> so, two upon yours, far too close to each other. Jungle Book. <laughs> the new one or the old one? The old one. Yeah, obviously. And, uh, and of course, my favourite film, the best film ever made in all of humanity, is Airplane. 
<laughs> obviously. Anyway, that didn't work here. Let's try oh, pet peeves. Am I allowed to say that? Pet annoyances. Things that get on your nerves. I'll come back to you, Georgia. <laughs> Generalisations. Generalisations, very good. Rudeness. Rudeness. People going very slowly in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> Being unorganised. Being unorganised. I think I'll expand on that when you're on the road and people going slow on the road. You know. <laughs> Things that get on my nerves when people shove a microphone in your face and ask you questions. <laughs> okay, so that's not worked either. Let's do one more. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? I am. I am. Yes, I am. I am. I am. So am I. Isn't that nice? What a beautiful moment this is. Anyway, that's it. That was very short and sweet. Thanks very much. Very good. So, you're not sure whether you should clap. Is it sort of need to be clapped for that? Anyway, so we're going to come on to the subject of unity in a minute. They say, don't they, that hell is like being locked in a room with your friends for eternity. And uh, it depends who your friends are, I guess. But actually, let me tell you something that some of you may not want to hear. But heaven is like being locked in a room with your friends for eternity. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. John has this vision of heaven, and he sees all the people there. And it says this in verses 9 to 10. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The Lamb being a, an analogy for who Jesus is. Um, I must say my favorite joke. Oh, no. Have we got, have we got time? Oh, no, we haven't. Oh, we have. Go on. Remember, we're a congregational church, by the way. Um, so remember that for the purposes of this joke. So a guy dies, he goes to heaven, and uh, St. Peter takes him through the pearly gates and he gives him the guided tour. So he sees the New Jerusalem, they see the, the streets paved with gold, you may have heard this. They go around, he meets Moses, he meets Elijah, he meets all the famous people from the Bible, some very famous Christians, he now can meet Billy Graham and people like that. He goes to every corner of heaven and he meets so many millions of people, and it's a brilliant day out for him, really has a good time. And he gets to one corner, and there's a, a 12 foot high brick wall. And it's sort of cornered off one corner of heaven. And behind this wall, he can hear lots of cheering and clapping and shouting and woo-hooing. And, uh, and so he says to Peter, as they get nearer, who are they? And Peter says, shh, shh. And as they get closer, they sort of tiptoe past. To get past the other side, he says to Peter, who are those people behind that wall? And he said, they're members of the congregational church. And they think they're the only ones up here. Um, <laughs> or you can just put in any denomination that happens to get on your nerves that week. That's not what I'm talking about. There's a lot of negative stuff. We're thinking about church at its best. Just for three weeks, a little bit different to what we normally do on a Sunday morning. But we're looking at the church at its best because there's so much negative stuff about the church. A lot of stuff is truly and warranted about church history. There's lots of dark patches in church history uh, and perhaps some reasons for that. But the church on the whole is good. The church on the whole is a great thing to have in its local community. There was a study recently that reminded us that Christians provide the most voluntary hours in every society almost uh, across the country. We're the biggest providers of volunteers in terms of what we do and what we help with as well. Last week we looked at the church at its best and we looked at how the church should be um, in the sense of its community, physically, uh, emotionally, spiritually. It should be charitable. We should be reaching and uh, reforming and helping social needs. How we're in, Within our own community, we should be what some of the things have been sh- shared. We should be a, a community where no one is in need. And then we ought to have facilities that enable us 
buildings that enable us to serve God better and show God's love to people. We looked at lessons from the past. We looked at the Great Awakening, the social reforms that happened once the gospel was preached properly. And this week, I want to continue to look at some of the things that should define the church, which is the church at its best. But I want to talk about unity, just for a short moment, because the church should be unified. And it so often isn't. When I talk about church unity, I don't mean this kind of unity. Where you just put up with each other, even though you secretly can't stand each other. When we talk about church unity, we're not talking about, really don't like you, but I'm going to pretend that I love you. Um, and so, you know, I often hear Christians say, well, you know, I'm called to love them, not like them. What's that about? I'm sorry if you've said it here. I'm sure some of you have. I'm sure I've said it. What's that about, really? You're not called to get off on a technicality. You're just to love each other. Church unity isn't about putting up with each other. It's about coming together on a, on a level of love, the foundation of love. Unity uh, is to be based on our salvation, our mutual salvation in Christ, the cleansing that he brings through us through his work on the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our unity isn't based around church traditions, it's based around the, the truths in the Bible and the Bible alone. And we unify around that and that only, nothing else. And unity is a really important thing. And I want to think about it for a few moments because unity is such an important concept, isn't it? And we live in more and more of a fractured society. When you turn on the telly, you don't see harmony. You see aspects of harmony. There are groups of people that get on, but as a whole, society appears to be fragmenting uh, on an alarming basis. Class is becoming a thing again, isn't it? Money, opportunity, even where you live, now becomes something that fractures society. We see it amongst our young people with tragic consequences if they stray into the wrong part of town. And... You only have to look on social media to see how fractured and fragmented our society is. How much raging and ranting and anger is on social media if you dare to stray outside the lines of contemporary thought or what's considered the right way of thinking. If you have a different opinion, people rage at you. Who do you think you are? And there's such anger. And, uh, and we talk of tribalism as well. There's a great talk of tribalism in the media and how... America and this country are fracturing into tribes, almost tribal uh, mentalities. This is how we think and this is how they think and we hate each other. And a great example of this has been given recently. You may recognize the, the picture I'm about to show you, or David's going to show you. Everyone seen that? This is the uh, young Catholic boy, I think he's 16, uh, wearing a Make America Great hat again. Um, and the, the headline is that they surrounded uh, a group of Native Americans who were peacefully marching and one of the annual events, and they taunted them, and they picked on them, and this has been held up in the media as a great example of tribalism. You know, you've got that group and that group, and they hate each other. There's a Christian organization called Speak Life, and a guy called Glenn, I've forgotten his surname, um, is Australian, if that helps. Glenn from Australia, you can go search him from that way. Wendy, do you know him? I don't know. <laughs> Mark, do you know? Okay. Anyway, uh, they're Australian. Um, I listened to a talk by him, and it was really interesting because he said there's about two hours of footage of that event. And actually, he said the portrayal of what happened that day, not defending any of the people that were there, because there were more than two groups. He said, actually, it's been spun in such a way as to tell us something that the media once told. That here is a proof that society is becoming more racist, more fractured, more prejudiced against each other. And he said, and actually, if you watch the whole thing, it tells a very different story. He was not at any point defending the Trump hat who would we're not into making nations great we're into building the kingdom of god but our, our society fractures and often our media 
loves to exacerbate that. And if you get a chance to go on to speak life and watch his uh, talk on this, it really is quite illuminating. I found it quite illuminating and quite scary. So we live in a world that's becoming more fractured, it's getting worse. And so the church has a responsibility to be different. But when we come in here on a Sunday morning, well, let's face it, when you look around this room, this shouldn't work, should it? This should not work on a Sunday morning. By rights, we should all, we should have all the one group sitting over there, one group should sit over here, and we shouldn't actually get on with each other. And for the most part, we do. And actually, I will tell you, I love you all. Even when you get on my nerves, and even when I get on your nerves, I love you. You're my friends, you're my family. And church shouldn't work, because we're so different, as we tried to explain a show just a few moments ago. We live in a fractured world, but actually church can be different. Church should be different. It can be a place where unity truly exists, not through assimilation, but through a mutual love and faith in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, despite our differences. And unity amongst God's people uh, is spoken of in some wonderful terms in the Bible. The Bible describes the unity of God's people as a witness to those who've never experienced it. In John 13, verses 34 to 35, Jesus says, our Savior, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So witness, when we do this, it's different to what people experience. Often we, we mag, mag, what's the word? What am I trying to say? Not magnetize, um, you know what I'm saying we drift towards people we're similar to sorry um but it's a witness when we all get on it's a witness when there's unity in the church the unity of the church is unique Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 to 29 again Paul writes these words before uh, 26 to 29 so in Christ Jesus we are all children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free there is neither is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. You see, that list of uh, names, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, are all the social categories of the first century who didn't connect with each other. Who ignored, if you were a woman, you didn't talk to a man. If you were a non-Jew, you didn't talk to Jews. If you were rich, you didn't talk to the poor. They never interacted until they found Jesus Christ. And then when they came into Christ, then suddenly those blurred barriers of social class evaporated. It's unique what happens in the church. It's powerful. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, we see that one of the things that define the early church is their unity with each other. And that unity was blessed by God miraculously and by increasing their number on a daily basis. It's also prophetic, the unity we have as Christians. I've already read Revelation 7, 9 to 10, that actually what we do on a Sunday morning isn't just us all being nice to each other. What we do here is actually foretelling what's going to happen in heaven. The reason we should work hard at unity is actually we're, pro- we're projecting a picture of heaven as this is what it's going to be like forever. All tribe, all nations, all, all different types of people, one in Christ. True unity. It's prophetic. It's telling a story. It's telling an important message. And Psalm 133, the unity of God's people is beautiful. I think this is a wonderfully poetic way of describing the unity of God's people. The writer writes, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard running down the collar of his robes, as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. 
but how pleasant, how good it is when God's people live together in unity. It's beautiful when we get on. And actually, as Christians, we really should practice unity. We should make it our number one priority to forgive each other when we irritate each other. There should be no grudge holding, no chips on any of our shoulders in this room. We are to be people who are the best at forgiveness amongst ourselves and then amongst our enemies and those who don't even like us. We used to be people that fall over each other to help one another, who love each other and who make it our mission to reflect in our relationships, the relationships of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God relating with himself for eternity. We must never become like the picture I'm about to show you. I thought they were going to laugh then. <laughs> we must never become that church, ever. Let me tell you another joke. Um, I'll change the beginning because it's a bit insensitive. But there were two men at a cafe. Uh, they met by chance at a cafe. And then they got talking and they, they just chatted about themselves. And one man says to the other, So are you a Christian or a Hindu or a Jew or what? The other man says, I'm a Christian. You've heard this before, some of you, so just laugh at the end. And the man says, Well, small world, me too. A Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox... He said, I'm Protestant. He says, me too. What denomination? He says, I'm Baptist. He said, me too. Southern Baptist or Northern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. He said, me too. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? The man says, I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist. He says, me too. The chances of this. He said, are you a Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Lakes region? And the man says, I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes region. And he said, me too. This is amazing. He said, are you a Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes region, Council of 1879, or a Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes region, Council of 1912? The man says, well, I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes region, Council of 1912. And he said, go away, you heretic. Shout out that for too loud, sorry. Anyway, but how sad is that when that happens? And actually, the reason for talking about unity is that this unity, this family of God, isn't just for those who are already religious. It's for everybody. This is the most wonderful thing to belong to in all of life, I believe. Church is wonderful. My greatest moment of my life was at 11 years old and I asked Jesus Christ to become my Lord and Saviour. And it was my greatest moment for two reasons. The first was that moment my sin was forgiven and I was given everlasting life. My name was written in God's book in heaven. A, a room was prepared for me in his mansion in glory. And when I die, eventually, I know i am already got a place in heaven. That's what happened that moment I gave my life to Jesus. But the second reason it was so wonderful is because I discovered my family. And I don't go anywhere in the world, and I've traveled, I've been fortunate enough to travel, and how wonderful it is to be a part of the family of God. All over the world, tribes and different tongues and nations, and I find people just like you, and I love it, and I love it, and it's wonderful. And so the reason for these three talks is because we think the church is so special, that sometimes Christians are a little bit down on it. And we need to realize that the church can be at its best. And when it's at its best, I think the world notices and the world changes. So let me say a few things about the church at its best. The church is at its best, not just when it's unified, but when the gospel and prayer are central. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2, Paul says, I've known nothing but Christ and his crucifixion when I was with you. 
He wants to talk about nothing but the gospel when he went to the church in Corinth. When the gospel, the message of the cross is central, the church is at its best. What is the gospel if you've never heard it? Well, let me tell you something that happened to me recently. I went to embarrass Michael and Jess. I went to see Michael and Jess, and, uh, and I went in, and their flat, you have to write in your registration number. Otherwise, you get a parking ticket. I wrote my registration number in, I swear. Um, and then I got this through the post saying, penalty, parking charge notice, 90 pounds. Anyway, um, and I didn't apparently put my thing in well enough. So I phoned them up immediately, and I appealed, and I said, well, look, I went to see Michael and Jess, number whatever their flat is, I won't give you a address out. And I said, I was there for 55 minutes, and I came home. I did not go anywhere else, I promise. Saturday morning, I received another letter saying, tough, <laughs> in nicer language, just about. But basically, you parked incorrectly, what are you going to do about it? And it occurred to me that each one of us has done things that we shouldn't. We might have really good reasons, might be small, might be big. We all do things we shouldn't. And we're all, um, everything we do has a, a punishment, has a, has a consequence attached to it. But actually, there's no grace in this letter whatsoever. There's no grace. And the Bible says that even though we all sin and fall short of God's glory, God in his grace doesn't treat us as we ought to be treated. He shows his grace. He sends his son to pay the penalty, to pay the price. And when that message is central in a church, when prayer is central at a church, it's at its best. Two quotes on prayer. It says One person wrote, a prayer, prayer meetings were the arteries of the early church. Through them, life-sustaining power was derived. Another person wrote, a church is never, never more like the New Testament church when it's praying. And I want to just, a little gentle challenge. We have times of prayer in this church, and maybe you don't come. Maybe you've never come. Maybe there's a whole lot of good reasons why you don't come. But if this church doesn't become a praying church as often as it can, all the great plans we have are a bit doomed, if I'm honest. Because without prayer, there's no power, and we're not at our best. Second thing that makes a church at its best is when people see the love of God. And we read Colossians 3, I think, at the beginning, talking about how we should treat each other. I won't play the video. Um, but the way we treat each other is how we show the church at its best and some of the things we heard from the front are reminders of that the church is at its best when it blesses other churches one more passage from the book of acts verse uh, chapter 11 verse 27 it says during this time some prophets came down from jerusalem to antioch one of them named agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire roman world this happened during the reign of claudius the disciples as each one was able decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea, as they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas. And so you've got one church over here hearing about a famine that was going to come, and they immediately put their hands in their pockets to have a collection for another church in a different part of the world, because they were at their best when they helped other churches. The church is at its best when we make the prayer and gospel central. The church is at its best when we demonstrate God's love and people see it when they come amongst us. The church is at its best when it blesses other churches. I went to a meeting uh, with the EFCC. You may remember Tom Brand came on the 30th of December. And it was a, a meeting with larger churches and smaller churches. We were in the larger church category. And some two ladies were from Much Haddam Congregational Church. They were there. And it broke my heart because they spoke of their church. They get 10 on a good day. That's a good day. A guy was from Puckeridge, and he spoke about how only him and his wife are there most Sundays. And they had one 85-year-old woman that only comes in the winter. Um, it seems the wrong way around, doesn't it? But they have three. Great Chesterford had 15 on a good day. I was almost embarrassed. 
Not because I'm ashamed of what God's done here, but because you feel that conviction, don't you? Are they our responsibility? It's a different town. It's like 15 minutes drive. Is it our responsibility to bless that church? What could we do? Could we use some of our finances for them to employ someone? Could we run an alpha course for them once a year? Could we just go and meet with them and encourage them and pray with them? I suspect the answer is yes to all of those questions. Should we do that? Great St. Mary's are about to lose their vicar. Francis is off at the end of February. And they will probably face nine months as they search for a new vicar. That can be either a wonderful time for a church or catastrophic, depending on who steps up or who doesn't step up. Do we pray for them enough in this church? I pray for Great St. Mary's regularly. Do you pray for our brothers and sisters down the road? You ought to. The church is at its best, not just when it grows internally, but when it blesses and seeks the growth of churches in other parts of the world, other parts of the country. So unity comes when Jesus is at the centre, when prayer is key, when our unity is around the saviour of the world, and it's something that we see in our activity, in our words, in our, in our actions, and how we treat other people and other churches. Church is unique. Church is wonderful. And again, just like last week, this is a, a different sort of talk. My heart is to end with a, an application. This week, go and do this. But I just love the church. I love being part. I've been coming to church since I was 11 years old. I never went before. It was something I wasn't born into. I did, my mum and dad never made me go. In fact, when I was young, I went to church parade, and I thought it was the boring, most boring place on earth. But now I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I realize it's the most powerful place on earth, the most wonderful place on earth. And I love being a part of it. And if you're new to it or you're not sure whether you even want to come back, I tell you, you should stick at it. Because to know Christ as your saviour and to be a part of God's family is the best. And if you're already a Christian, I just urge you to make this your priority. To invest in what God's doing through his local church and see him move mightily in our town. Let's pray. Lord God, we just lift up Lord, these thoughts. Father God, thank you for what was shared early on. Lord, we thank you for those stories of people from this church and other churches, Lord, stepping out and stepping out and being sacrificial with their time, with their money, Lord, with their, with their things. But Lord, we thank you that your church is the, the hope of the world. Lord, we are a city on a hill, Jesus himself said. Lord, we're called to be ambassadors for the King of Kings. Lord, raise us up, Lord. May we love our neighbours, Lord, not just um, in the figurative sense, but literally our neighbours. May we be people that make a difference, Father. That's our heart. And Lord, just as we spend these three weeks having a different sort of talk, just remind us, Lord, of how wonderful, what a wonderful privilege it is to be your people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Jesus.